You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. Make sure to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode. Because on this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about the journeys of their lives, the ups and downs, the twists and turns, the ahas, the insights, how they've gotten to where they are, and what it's like to be them in the here and now. Because what I feel is that your joy, your worth, your feelings of success, of enoughness aren't out there somewhere. Once I have this job title, once I have this person, once I have this house, this car, make this much money, then I'll feel this. It doesn't work like that. If you're pinning it on something exterior, you will just keep chasing it. It is up to us to claim our joy, to claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness. And that is why it's called Claim It. On today's episode, I talked to Courtney Swan, also known as Real Foodology. She's an integrative nutritionalist and a real foodist on a mission to make healthy eating easier and normalize mental health. Courtney and I have interesting similarities in that we've both spent a lot of our lives touring with artists, musicians on the road, and that we also both had two different jobs inside that world at different times and would try to quit touring and then go back to it. And both of us have now left touring. <laughs> so we had a lot in common. And um, she also has a really interesting history, and I'm honored that she opened up with me. And um, I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So here we go. So I feel like the natural place for us to start is touring, yeah. as I know you have a history with the touring world that evolved, and I also have a touring history that evolved. Where did you start and why and how? Yeah, okay. Um, so it started, well, it started when I was a lot younger, actually. I always was very, very into music. I remember at a very young age telling my parents I wanted to work in music. I didn't know at that point, obviously, exactly what I wanted to do because I was so little. I was like, I just love music and I want to work in music. Um, and it actually ended up being one of those childhood dreams that I really pursued. Uh, I went to college in Colorado. And at the time, um, I was getting more into music. And I started working at um, the front door of like venues in um, Denver. Like one of them is not even there anymore. But and throughout the years, you know, I met different people that worked in bands and I started to kind of get experience. And I learned that I ultimately really wanted to go on tour. Yeah. Um, I ended up taking an internship with this uh, record label Epitaph Records. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. They brought me out to L.A. for a second, came back. So anyway, so it was kind of just like that was kind of setting Were the stage. Were you going to college for something music related? So I... I thought about doing music business when I was in college. I was talked out of it by my um, advisor, which I don't remember now why. I think it was just kind of like she just said, you can already do music anyway, so you don't necessarily need a, a degree for that. So Got why it. don't you get something else to like have as a backup? So I didn't do music. I ended up just doing communication. Okay. Um, and which is funny that I ended up then like morphing into blogging and which it was communication. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, at the time, I remember graduating and being like, what? Like, what am I going to do with this degree? I just really I went through college. I went to college really young. I was 17. And I just was like, I don't know what I want to do. All I know is I really like music and I want to work in music. And that was it. And so I kind of just did a degree that I felt like would just to get just a like, degree. Yeah. So at that age, you were like, 
very interested in music, but you didn't know how or why or what. You know, you weren't like, I want to play music. Exactly. It just, was more that like was I the just same with me. And I actually did go to so school. For, I started for music business. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, same thing where I was just like, I loved music and live music was a thing. I would go, I would say yep. yes to like any concert, even if I didn't know, oh, you're going to this concert. Okay. And people would always same. be like, Trisha, what's wrong with you? Because at the concert, everybody else is like dancing and having fun. And I would just be like, really listening to the sound, I eventually became That's a sound engineer. But I was like, the guitar is too loud. I can't hear the vocals. And I didn't know anything. But I remember just always being so tuned into it, but being like obsessed with music. And I got like my first, yeah, like got a job at the record store. Yeah. And I was like, I knew I wanted to be in music, but I didn't know like what. And so I then did found, um, I went to Columbia College Chicago for oh, music business. Chicago. Yeah. Amazing. So that's how my path started. So then, okay. So how did you get the in- internship with Epitaph then? If you were in Colorado and... I'm trying to remember how I did that. Oh, I had just seen somewhere. I don't even know. I don't even remember how I found out about it. I somehow got wind of it that they were taking an intern in LA. I flew out to LA to like visit a friend or something. And so I did an interview with them and they were like, yeah, come back this summer and you can intern with us. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. It ended up serving me really well. So in between my sophomore and junior year of college, I moved out to LA for three months. I did like a couple just random classes at like a community college that could go towards my degree back at at CU. And I interned at Eptaf and then I went back to CU I also, during this time, had become really good friends with a guy in my class. His name is Sean Foreman, who ended up being in this band called 303. It's 3OH3. And they were, um, at the time, just really, really big in Boulder. And then by the time we graduated, by senior year, they were becoming like very popular. Like had a song with Katy Perry, had a song with Kesha. Um, And so I had actually introduced them to their manager because I knew a guy out in LA that was like managing bands at the time. So I introduced them. And then I, it was almost kind of like a, like, thank you. They were like, hey, we know you really want to tour. Do you want to come out on tour with us? And I was like, yes. It was all I wanted at that time. All I wanted to do was tour. Um, so I show up the first day. What were you doing at that time? You're, you're back in Colorado. So I had just graduated. I graduated college and it was actually a year later. So we graduated. They were kind of just doing shows and like building momentum or whatever. And then it was like a year later. So at that point, I was actually, I was living in Chicago. I had just moved to Chicago and I really wasn't doing anything. I was working at like American Apparel being like, what am I going to do with my life? (laughs) It was so random. What brought you to Chicago? I really live a pretty spontaneous life. Um, (laughs) I was living in Colorado at the time. One of my girlfriends, I mind you, I had visited Chicago once for three days and I get back from Chicago and my friend sends me a text and she's like, hey, my roommate's actually moving out. Do you want to move to Chicago? And I was like, yeah, okay. All right. So a month later, I moved to Chicago and I started working there. I was working in American Apparel. I was also like, what am I doing with my life? But I'll figure it out. And then I think it was maybe like three or four months into living there. Um, he was Nat from 303 called me and he was like, hey, we're doing Warp Tour this summer. Do you want to come on a tour with us? If anyone listening remembers Warp Tour, it, R.I.P. Um, it was like a oh, traveling. Yeah, they just did their 20th show. I want to say it was two summers ago. I was like, they went out this summer, I thought. Did I think not? it was. No. Or, oh. You know what? They ended up doing like one or two shows, I think, this summer. But it's oh, not a full traveling thing it. anymore. They did it for 20 years. It was a traveling like alternative pop punk yeah. kind of music festival, essentially. 
Um, and that was where I got my start. So I flew out for the first day thinking like, hi guys, I'm here, like ready to do merch. And they were like, oh no, you're tour managing us. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Like, and you, so you like signed up not even like knowing what you're gonna doing. And the tour manager is like yeah. in charge. Oh <laughs> yeah. He's running the show, needs to be like, we're going here, we're doing this. You guys need to be here, do that. Like, yeah. we have an interview, we gotta get here. <laughs> I mean, I had like a second of a freak out and then I was like, you know what? I've got this. I, Cause I mean, at the time I had so many friends that worked in music from working the door at venues and all that. So I felt like I had a good idea of what to do and I had so many friends that could help me. So basically what I did was I just called in all my resources, like called on my friends that were tour managing. A lot of them happened to be on Warp Tour. Yeah. That's also, it's like the Warp Tour is, it was amazing is kind of a mess in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, it's probably a great way to get started and so many bands to get started too. But then, yeah, if you're like just figuring out your own role in that, like, yeah, because there's like how many, there's like 50 or something bands or whatever. Yeah, and they a lot all, of people. Like from very different scales of just, just starting to like super well known so that, yeah, like that's when probably the best it, place to be and to be trying to figure out what is yeah. this thing that they're calling me? I know. It was crazy. When we did it, Katy Perry was on Warped Tour, yeah. which is wild. It was literally right before she got very famous. But wait, what was I going to say? Oh, so then I just started reaching out to all my tour manager friends. And at the end of the night, every night, I would go and sit on one of their buses with them and just like pick their brain. I'd be like, okay, what do I do with this? How do I do this? Send me all your spreadsheets. Like just, I was just a little sponge. Right. Because yeah, then you're responsible for money. Oh, yeah. For DMs. If all anything, the breaks, yeah, yeah, people eat, like babysitting, making sure everyone gets to the bus on time. Yeah, it's basically the adult in charge as yeah. well, for especially for that smaller tours. Then you're like almost the only like, yeah, you're leader of the circus. Like, you're the responsible human of the bunch. Or you're supposed <laughs> to be. I was also like 23 and like, <laughs> so you're like, Woo, I'm on tour. Yeah. But I managed to do it. I did it for like eight years. So wow, yeah. So, so you I, ended up tour managing for eight years. Yeah, off and on. It was more like I guess like I'm trying to think like actually working as yeah. It was like almost eight years because I could I did two years with 303. I did well, it was like two and a half, and then I did two and a half years with the Somerset, which is a smaller band in Arizona. Um, I, and then I just worked for a, a bunch of little like pop punk bands for a while, like this band Chiotos. I tour managed their their singer on his solo project. So it was kind of just. A bunch of little like emo pop punk bands. And then I took a year off from school. It might have been two years. I from school went. Yeah, I went back to okay, school I was for like, nutrition. I we had graduated. <laughs> okay. So I know there's a lot of like ins and outs. Because Well, I was going to ask too, because yeah, touring depending. Usually you're not on tour for an entire year. So yeah. like what? Yeah. After you did that first tour with them and you go back home, like then did you like just go back to getting another like American Parallel or did you just and were you able no. to jump around from band to band and stay busy yeah for I just was able to like jump around and work for different bands which is why I was like yeah there's all these little little bands that I did like in between but my main ones were 303 in the Somerset and then I decided I didn't want to tour anymore I was done I wanted to go back to school for nutrition I was getting really into health and wellness at that point and then I met Third Eye Blind um, at a music festival, I went out just to go and like say hi to a friend. And it turns out my friend was tour managing them. Um, and I met the singer, Steven. And at the time I thought he was hitting on me. Like he came up to me and he was like, Oh, you're a tour manager. Let me get your number. We need a tour manager soon. And I was like, oh, you're like, yeah, okay. right. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking like, okay, he's definitely hitting on me. 
Um, no. Well, it turns out he was, he called me like four days later and he's like, give me your resume. We need a tour manager. And then like basically hired me on the spot. So then I got pulled back into tour managing again, worked with them. And then <laughs> it's such a like crazy little like twist and turn of events. Well, at one point, weren't you working for non-toxic revolution or something? Oh, or yeah. No? Keep abreast. Yeah. That's right. I'm like, I remember from back in the day, right. like seeing you on their account. I totally forgot about that. But I now was like, that was so long ago that I was like, was that you? <laughs> that was me. Okay. So that was before or no. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I was like, I know that there's some years here that I'm missing, but I just couldn't remember. Yeah. So when I was done with the summer set and I was back in school, I got brought out again on Warped Tour. I ended up doing Warped Tour five times. Wow. I did it twice with 303, twice with the summer set, and then with Keep Abreast. And Keep Abreast brought me out to be in charge of their non-toxic revolution, which I mean that it was, it was incredible. Like it was such a grueling job because we were sitting out under a tent in the sun all day. Um, but it was really where I got to showcase my passions because they the non-toxic revolution was started by um, this company keep abreast and they're like a breast cancer foundation and the non-toxic revolution is their educational side about like eating your healthier diet trying to eat organic if you can um, avoiding plastics and it's all about educating people and in, in what we do know and what like causes cancer um, and how to reduce your and like clean beauty and stuff as well exactly. yeah, yeah right clean like non-toxic deodorant like exactly. things you're putting on your skin yeah and that was right when i was really starting to get into all of that aspect of health and wellness so it was, it was a really fun job for me to be able to go out and like educate people on that every day it was really cool and what started you being interested in health and wellness it started with my mom but like in a weird way so my mom has always been very healthy and organic when I was a kid, we only had like organic natural food or I mean, I don't even think organic was really a thing when I was a kid, but it was like natural. Like we didn't go just to the normal grocery store. We would go to the little like natural market, which is where I'm from. It now is Whole Foods, but back then it was called like Sun Harvest or something. And so anyway, so I always grew up eating really healthy. I went to college and I just went like crazy as any kid does. That's like, deprived of fast food and everything, you know? And so I was like Taco Bell every night and this and that, like all the food I didn't get to eat growing up. I gained like 20 pounds. I did not feel good. I didn't look good. And I kind of freaked out. And at the time, my mom was kind of subtly like, she'd just randomly mail me like books and stuff like, oh, I think you might like this. Or this was really before I me. Mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't like it is now. And so she would literally cut out newspaper articles about nutrition would send me like, hey, I just read this article on hydrogenated fats, which are trans fats. My mom was really ahead of her time. Was there a reason that she was into all of that stuff? Like, did she have some history or just? She just, she lived in Boulder before my parents moved to Texas and it's like the Mecca for healthy living. Yeah. So I think she just got really into it. She just learned at a young age how to like really take care of her own health and just like saw the effects of it on her body. And she lived in Italy for a year. So she comes from like that kind of, you know, she's really got to live in their culture and see how they ate. And it's just just like, yeah, she just got really into it and then brought it into our family. And then ultimately, yeah, obviously wanted me to be healthy. And so what was your eventual like opening up to it? Were you like, mom, like, were you <laughs> reading the book she would send you in the articles or did you just sort of like put them aside? You know, it's funny because I would kind of like roll my eyes a little bit and I'd be like, oh, OK, yeah, this and that. But I would still read them. And then it just kind of started to stick. Like it was just everything was like, yeah, this is just so it's just common sense. 
I do remember the turning point for me was she sent me this book called You Are What You Eat. And it's so simple, but I had never thought about it this way before. And basically the premise of the book is like what you put in your body is what your what fuels your body. It's how your it's how your cells are produced. Your body is made up essentially of what you put in it. And it's sad, but we're not really taught that. Yeah. Even though it's so basic and it's such common sense. But I remember just reading that book and being like, duh, this makes so much sense. Like, why didn't I think of this before? Why was this not like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it really like resonated with me. And that's when I started to get into it. Like, I remember after reading that book, I was like, I just went down a rabbit hole of like, what books can I get my hands on? What kind of information can I get? Like, I just couldn't get enough of it. Was so excited about it. Um, And so then I started reading books about health and wellness. and. It took a little while because I started reading a ton of books. Was this while you're still touring too? Yeah. So then were you, was that changing how you like, you're changing how you're eating, I'm guessing, totally. and all these things. So then on tour as well, yeah. which it's possible to do it. But when you're not used to thinking about that way, then it could seem impossible. But I, when I started touring, I was already, because I had fibromyalgia, and so that forced me to take really good care of myself at an early age and be like, okay, these pills aren't working for me. Like, so how can I do it? Like, I gave up gluten in 2004 to see if it would help, and it wow. did. But so, That's like, wild. I was, like, touring as a sound engineer with my own rider of, like, I need gluten-free vegan f- food meals for the sound engineer in 2004 around the world. <laughs> I can't imagine that because I yeah, went, there was like nothing. People are like, what is wheat? What are you talking about? I mean, I can relate with you in the sense of I was diagnosed with a wheat allergy in 2011. And again, it was still like when I was diagnosed with that, I was like, I'm sorry, I have to avoid what? Yeah. What is gluten? What is that? Yeah. It was before it was like even a thing at all. And so then I was yeah. in a similar boat where I was then on tour. And at the time I was also vegetarian and I was like, yeah. I can't eat wheat, Same. I don't eat meat. And it was this whole thing. I mean, I finally ended up eating meat. It's possible, but it becomes... It was very like, hard. Very, yeah. Like, But that's, yeah. For me, I, because it really affected my body. I mean, it affected yeah. everybody's body, but because I knew it, then it was like easier for me to stay. Like, yeah. no, I need this. This is the thing, even though I kind of felt like a diva. <laughs> I know. If you it's hire me, by the way, I'm going to need... <laughs> Gluten-free vegetarian meals. Um, During that time in touring, it was very popular to be vegetarian. So that was right. very easy. Yeah. It was yeah, a the gluten thing that's really hard. Part. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's like, especially oh, sure. being vegetarian. Especially, but they'll be like, here's here's some vegetarian pasta. That's the what the I option know. is mostly oh. <laughs> on the like buffets and catering. Yeah, because it's like, cater- it's usually on tour. Like there's catering of like buffets of food. And even if it's like healthy food, then it's like, tasteless and like most of the time and yeah you're like in the middle of america and they don't and it's know your only option things yeah so it could be really tragic but yeah like stocking the bus like i had amy's frozen meals was like the only thing back then that like had gluten-free so like, had yeah same microwave meals a lot of canned food a lot of like oh, i was gonna say tuna but that was before when i was or when later when i started eating meat again yeah later, but yeah no, and I eventually, um, I never was fully vegan or vegetarian, but I would be like mostly, when it, and same thing, it sort of became about the quality of, I was like, I don't know what I'm eating, what chicken I'm eating in the middle of nowhere off this buffet or whatever too. Yeah. So I have incorporated back in, but with like in control of the sources. 
I mean, I still do that. If I don't know where meat comes from, I just will eat vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't want to support factory farming. I don't want those hormones and I don't know, all the antibiotics and everything else in there. It's just not. Same. But yeah, that's what back then it was never, you know, as much as I love animals that my, how I came to it was more like. Yeah. The like feeling like I was eating a chicken with five heads because I couldn't see it. And so what would it look? Yeah. Be like. (laughs) Okay, so you're heavily changing how you're taking care of yourself and still touring. When did you decide to then go to nutritional school? And at that point, were you like you said, I'm done touring? Yeah. And then I'm going to go back to school. Yeah, I just really I got to a point where I got really tired of the touring Um, Because at this point, I had been touring for almost six years on the road. And it's a lot of travel, Um, especially with 303. I remember there was one year that I was gone 10 months out of the 12 months. So it was just like, you know, after six years, I was like, okay, I've had it. I'm also like at this time, I was getting very passionate about health and wellness. It was becoming harder on the road to stay healthy and be concerned about this while also doing my job. Um, So I left touring the first time in 2011. And that was right. Or maybe it might have been 2012. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, I moved back to Austin because I was born and raised in San Antonio. My parents live in San Antonio half of the year. Um, And so I was like, I'll I'll go home. I'll be like close to home. It's an hour away. Went back to school for nutrition. And then I started. Is that like, did you think then I will be a nutritionist or just I know I want to study this? Because if you're considering I'm not going to tour anymore, like how, yeah, like how I make yeah, money. I, will. I figured that I would, I actually initially set out to go down the RD route, which is registered dietitian. Okay. And because I had my um, undergrad in communications, I had to go back and do all of the science classes that I didn't get with that degree. So the first like two and a half, three years was me literally just doing all prerequisites. So I just went back to Austin. I just did community college classes because I really just needed the basic like chemistry, chem one, chem two, anatomy, physiology. So that's then like you're attending though a school in person. So then you have to be in Texas. So you can't be on tour. Like you're like living at home, like going back to college. Yeah. Back to school. I was working at Whole Foods at the time. Um, I'm loving it. Although I was just, yeah, it was, it was a lot, a lot of school. Chemistry was very hard for me. It didn't click until biochem. And then I was, then at that point I could apply it to the body. And I was like, oh, now this all makes sense. Did you ever then in that time too, were you questioning leaving tour? Were you missing it? Were you seeing people go on tour and like starting to like, what am I doing? Or you felt like, no, I know that I want to be doing this. I had enough of that life. I'm trying to remember. It was honestly so long ago. I do remember that I had a pretty crazy transitional period, but I also remember being pretty like done. Like I was pretty stoked to be home and have like a normal sense of a normal life again. But I, yeah, I did start missing it, which is when I went back out on tour with Keep Abreast and I did oh, the right. non-toxic revolution and thing. that was put, like during the summer. Exactly. Just... Yeah. So I just like took a summer off from school, went and did that and then came back and was able to finish school. So during that time, so I said I was going towards my RD and basically what was happening is I was doing all my prerequisites and then I transferred to Texas State, which is where they had the RD program. And As I was doing these like prerequisites, I was doing like nutrition classes and slowly like starting to get integrated into the RD program. I finally like (laughs) my dad was so mad at me at the time. I finally just pulled out and I was like, I do not want to do this anymore because at the time I was very, very into holistic health. I was really looking at like the body as a whole, how to nourish the body with whole real foods. And 
I mean, this was a long time ago. I have no idea what the state of the RD program is now. I imagine it's still pretty similar. Um, but we were being taught in our classes to to implement low fat diets. It just it was all very like outdated science. Right. And it, we were learning a lot of things. It was it was just really frustrating me because I was like, I know that this is like not up to date because I was really staying on like the trends of everything that was coming out and like fat is really good for us. And I saw professors being like, oh, my God, fat is terrible for you. You want to go on a low fat diet. And I was just going crazy about it. And then all of my friends and all my classes were pretty like misinformed. And it just it really honestly like it just made me so unexcited about nutrition. And it made me so I just didn't want to do it anymore at that point because I was so like I felt defeated because I felt like the food industry was winning. And we were part of the problem in this country is there's so much uneducation about how to eat healthy. And I just, yeah, I was feeling really defeated and I was feeling like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't want to learn. I wanted to learn a more holistic way. So you're like seeking our registered dietitian because then that shows like, hey, I know a lot. I'm like, no, a nutrition. I want to help you. But really what they're teaching in that program is outdated. outdated. And like, this is what you need to do, like this one way that'll work for everyone or like cut and dry sort of things. Yeah. And it's very much like industry influenced as well. Um, I remember at the time I had a friend who had already gotten his RD and I had a conversation with him. He at the time was vegan. And when he was going through his internship part of, so you have like different rounds that you do. And one of the internships that you had is that you would sit in a clinical practice and you would have patients for a couple of weeks to get like a, a feel right. for how it would be in the real world. And he was being forced to tell all of those clients that they had to have a certain, um, serving of dairy every day. And, and he's vegan. And he was vegan and he had to or else he wouldn't pass. Wow. And it was funded by the dairy industry. It was very much just they were they had an agenda that they were pushing. Yeah. Because it's not just like he probably, I'm sure, has clients that even though he might be vegan, he may not believe that everybody has to be vegan. But this they're like telling, no, you have to tell every person no matter what they what their problems are, issues are or whatever. Like they have to eat dairy. Wow. And so I was just hearing a lot of that. And then, you know, they have this conference every year that's sponsored by Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola yeah. is let in and they're allowed to talk about how Diet Coke can be incorporated into wow, a healthy lifestyle. Crazy. Again, I don't want anyone coming at me because maybe it's different now. I don't know because I haven't looked into it recently. But when I was going to school, that's what was happening. Um, and so I was just feeling very because, you know, I was really going down a holistic route and I was so... Uh, coming from a different space and was like, I, I can't even be a part of this because I don't believe in this. This is exactly why I want to get into health and wellness is because I want to educate people on how to, to feed their bodies correctly. Yeah. Um, and so basically, I, I quit that program. I took a year off just to really figure out where, like what I wanted to do, if I wanted to pursue nutrition still or, you know, to find a different program. I ended up finding this program, Maryland University of Integrative Health. And they have a campus in Maryland, but they also do online stuff. And I didn't want to move to Maryland. So I did online. And I'm, I mean, it ended up being the best thing I could have ever done because a year into that is when I met Third Eye Blind. I started touring with them. And then I started touring with Tove. And so I was able to tour and finish my degree and get my master's while I was still working. This episode is brought to you by Encircled. They are a sustainable clothing line that is on a mission to help you do more with less clothing in your closet by designing clothes that are equally parts comfortable and 
stylish. They have multi-wear products. Everything is sleek, is comfortable, making it easy for you to travel, to pack, and to wear at home. Use code CLAIMITPODCAST to get $20 off your order of $100 more at encircled.co. And what did you, the year that you took off between leaving the RD program and finding that other one, were you just still in Texas and sort of just like seeing what would happen, like waiting, like, okay, yeah. I'm just going to see what, where, and like not knowing where you wanted to go next, but like, yeah, waiting. exactly. I kind of just, I, I'd been really burnt out too. I'd just come off of like three and a half years of just doing all the chemistries, all the sciences. And I was a little like, oh, need to like have a moment. And then, yeah, and then I found this school. Like I said, I was just kind of like perusing online, trying to, because I wanted something. I didn't want to just get like an online certificate. I wanted an actual degree. I wanted to get my master's and I wanted it to be very heavy on the science and like very much, yeah, like I just, I wanted to get a reputable master's, not just some like online certification where I was like a health coach or something. I wanted it to be legit. What do you think drove that or like drives that, that like, because there are so many people that are inspired. Okay, learn about and like you said, there's so many people like IAN. I have an IAN degree. It's an easy program. It's still long and commitment, but like that. Yeah. But like, what do you think like made you want to or still inspires like that now that you have that? You have a master's in mm -hmm. what is it? In nutrition. In nutrition. So like, do you know like what was maybe driving you or to feel like, no, I have to get this. This isn't enough. I mean, part of it was my dad. My dad is... um my dad's like very business minded and he's very like by the book. Like he was really upset I didn't go the RD route. Oh, and I was going to say this earlier, the, the cool thing about RD. So again, like I hope no one thinks that I'm like talking crap about it. I now I'm kind of like, man, it would have been cool to have my RD because it still is the most widely accepted form of, of a nutrition degree. What does because that mean? You, like widely accepted? Well, I don't even know. I guess I should say like respected because oh, okay. if you... Because RD is kind of the top of the line. Like if you're an RD. Like then, you really know what you're talking about. Sort yeah. Of. And not not to say at all that if you don't have your RD that you don't know what you're talking about. But I guess really what I'm trying to say is that if you want to work in like a school, a hospital, anything like that, you have to be an RD in order to talk about nutrition. It's like a legal thing. And then knowing that was why I was like, okay, I want to get my master's because I never wanted... I never wanted to limit the scope of work that I could do. Got it. Like if you're going to go that route. Exactly. Then like I want to be like fully I this yeah. and have all the opportunities that could go along with that. Exactly. Because I mean, I really like, you know, as with a lot of things in life, you kind of have to like pay to play. And so I wanted to be able, if I wanted to have my own practice, be able to like legally open a practice, take on patients. Because with nutrition, there's a lot of legal. Yeah. Like hoops and stuff that you have to go through because you're advising someone on their health, right. you know, and it could, hopefully it doesn't, but could go badly. And so there's a lot of like legal stuff there. Got it. Yeah. So I just had never wanted to be in a position where someone was questioning my education and if I was qualified enough. Some of that probably comes back to like the whole imposter syndrome that I yeah. think everyone has yeah. in some capacity. So I just really wanted, if if I was going to be taking on clients, helping people with their diets, helping them with chronic illnesses and diseases. I wanted to make sure that I was fully equipped and had all the like knowledge to take on patients like that. Yeah. Got it. No, and I totally get the imposter. Like the whole reason I went, got my IN nutritional like coach was for that thing because 
when I, yeah, so I toured for a long time as a sound engineer. Yeah. And also tried to quit several times. I was like, I want to be a tour. I want to be a tour. But I left and became a production coordinator at the House of Blues in San Diego when they opened. I'm going to do this. And then a tour would call. Okay, now I'm going to go back on tour. It's like a hard, hard life to give up. And so, but I really gave up being a sound engineer. My father passed away suddenly. And that like forced me to take a break and be like, okay, you've been wanting to get out of sound. And like I said, I'd already been like taking care of myself. And I had also had a lot of like mindset work because when I was 15, I almost committed suicide from like, physical pain and also just like life. So like my self-care, self-love journey like took a long time. So I had been doing a lot of work on myself and that woke me up to like, okay, my father passing away suddenly made me be like, I have to do more with my life. It's not enough for me to be doing these things. I have to like share it with other people and wake them up to like, life is short. Enjoy your life. Get out of your head. Stop making everything so hard. Stop yeah. apologizing for everything. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something I need to work on. So she apologized to me like 32 times it's before true. we started. And I was like, please stop apologizing. I told you it's not a big deal. I <laughs> mean, it's it's a daily practice for me for real. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so that led me to creating this new role on tour because I, again, could not get away from the touring life. But that's the world I knew, which was then taking care of artists, yeah. keeping them grounded and inspired in body and mind. But food became a part of that. So I was making all the I was leaning yoga. I was making the dressing rooms nice. I made my job so big. With so many, I had so many things that I had gave myself Same. to do. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Same. Made the dressing room at night, like vibed it out, put affirmations up, led yoga, made all of their food, and was also Amazing. like coach, calling them out on their shit, grounding them down, lifting them up. So mindset work, but all of it. But because a lot of people then got to know me as, oh, Trisha, the dryologist, she's like the chef and she's the nutritionist, like other people, fans and people around were calling me things. And even though I knew a ton from myself, learning stuff, studying stuff, I totally was like, oh my God, I can't be this. So like a lot of me getting that, I didn't think I would ever be a health coach, but like getting that certification was like just me feeling like I was an imposter. That like, oh, now I can say that I, you know, and, you know, like food for me was just like a side aspect that I mostly wanted it to be about the like mindset work and the conversations and getting out of your own head and supporting people and keeping them in integrity yeah. with themselves. But also I was really about food and like, especially since I had already toured for five years at that point with my gluten free <laughs> vegan lifestyle. I brought a juicer on tour with me as a sound engineer, as a suitcase. I was like, I did that once too. So then it Never was again. like, yeah, so I brought it into that big thing. But yeah, like me getting the health coaching like qualification was just like because I felt like then I could be OK with people saying those things about me or something. <laughs> but you wanted to do it in a different you were like seeing a practice and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I wanted to have a practice for my sake and for my client's sake. I just wanted to make sure that I was fully educated on everything, because if I was really going to be you know, guiding people down a certain path. I wanted to just really make sure I knew what I was talking about. That was ultimately my guiding force. So you then got that or you started, so you were still doing the online program and then getting some tours again, which I'm sure was probably then like night. You probably may have missed it, but also like, oh, okay, I'll take this money and still get to go to school and do these things. Is that like how it showed up? Well, with Third Eye Blind, that one actually really worked out in my favor because 
Um, they were doing just a lot of weekend warrior stuff is what we call in the industry. Yeah. Um, where I would be home mostly during the week and then I'd fly out on the weekends and we'd have one or two shows and then I'd come home. So it was a lot of just like fly out dates. It wasn't like full on tours. Nice. Um, and that really helped me a lot. And then, you know, a year into doing that, I had a, just kind of a random email from a friend of mine who I've known. I mean, I've known him since we were 19 from the touring world. He used to tour with I mean, he just toured with various bands. And so I knew him over the years. And he sends me this email out of the blue. And he's like, hey, I started working with this artist, Tovlo. Maybe you've heard of her. I'm rolling my eyes. Like, of course I've heard of her. She's all over the radio. Um, And he was like, yeah, we're looking for someone who can come out and help her. Like, just she wants to um, just have a little bit of help staying healthier on the road. Maybe make smoothies for her in the morning. And um, I know that you're he's basically it was like, we want someone that has a background in touring and we love that you're now doing nutrition and we love somebody to just like come out on tour and help keep everyone healthy. Um, that job ended up morphing into a lot of other things. Like you said, I turned I made my job very big. I remember the first day that I showed up, I sat down with him and I was like, OK, this is weird for me. One, because I've always been the tour manager. I've never been on tour not being the tour manager. Um, and that was a huge shift because I went from being fully in charge yeah. of everything to really just like, hey, yeah. like, you're just like sort of like bobbing around a little bit. Right. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and and again, like I sat down with him and I was like, OK, so what exactly is my job? And he was like, I mean, we're just going to kind of he's like, we've never had a position like yours before. So you make it into your own like you do you. I know that you're great at this. And then I was also like on top of making sure that everyone ate really well, it was also just basically Tove's right-hand woman. So like anything she needed help with, um, which was amazing. I mean, she ended up becoming one of my best friends. It has been a really fun four years with her. Like I'm... So that was four years. Yeah. I'm so glad. It's funny because when I got that email, I again had been feeling very like, I don't know if I want to tour anymore. Because for people that don't have any understanding of what touring is like, it's very as someone who's a health professional and cares a lot about their health and like wanting to eat really healthy, touring is very hard to stay healthy. It's intense. A lot of late nights, you have no routine. Like you have no semblance of routine because one night, you know, a show will go till 2 a.m. You're done packing up in 2 a.m. Or, you know, until 2 a.m. And then you're flying out the next day for a show or you have to get up early because she has an interview. Like there's just never... The schedule's never the same. Yeah, and there's so much. Tra- it seems very glamorous, and there are some aspects of yeah. glamour to it. But there's a like lack of sleep and running around and trying to like scavenge for food or this and that. And like, yeah, like exactly, really, yeah, you know, like you're living out of a suitcase. And- yeah, you don't really have a sense of a home base outside of your tour bus. Or if you're doing fly dates, then your home base literally becomes your hotel room that night. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it was amazing. I love it. But it's just it it is a lifestyle that is you have to work very hard to be healthy. And I, being someone who cares a lot about living a healthy lifestyle, was constantly just trying to navigate the touring world while while also staying healthy. But ironically, it's so funny for how much I care about being healthy and living a healthy, healthy lifestyle. I also feel that the touring lifestyle is so it's just me like it really works with me. Yeah. Because I, I like to be very spontaneous. I don't really have a routine because of, you know, the spontaneity. I like living up or I like waking up every day, not really knowing what the day is going to hold and just kind of like taking it. As yeah. It 
No, I that's I've always loved. I mean, like I love change. I love being in different places and being like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it also was like a lot of life lessons as well. It's like the it is what it is, you know, like mantra and like that. Just yeah. But um, yeah, I always love change and seeing new things. And you're you're with like a traveling family, too. But then also be another like downfall of being on tour is like you can't. Oh, you have a wedding. Sorry, I'll be on tour. Like you can't yeah. really commit to anything in your life. So like the tour is your life. And there's really like I for so many years, my life was like, well, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'll be on tour. If I'm on tour, like I basically it's like didn't give myself a lot of choices because whatever tour was on first. And even if I didn't know I was going to be tour, I might be on tour. And so I'll have to see. Like I could never say, yes, I'm there because right now I don't have any work. It was just like, well, I'll just have to wait around and see like it's like your life, even if you aren't on it, sort of like on the next one, whenever that's coming around or something. No, exactly. And, you know, and that is ultimately why. So I just finished touring with Tove like a month and a half ago. And that is, that was pretty much the driving reason why, because I just, I got really sick of not being able to ever commit to anything. Like I could never commit to anything more than like two weeks out because it was just like, Oh, I don't know. We might get this show last minute and that's priority because I mean, it was, it was my job. I was getting paid to basically just be on call. Yeah. And it was amazing. There's a lot of perks. I got to see more places than I could ever possibly imagine around the world traveling with my best friends but yeah I was kind of like living in like a commune for the last like four years like we were all each other's family best friends therapists like yeah it was really cool but I was definitely towards the end of that craving a more normal lifestyle being able to stay home cultivating my community here at home I mean I've moved to LA three years ago and I have never really lived here (laughs) because I traveled so much yep I most of the time didn't even have home I just would rent a storage unit and then yeah. switch out my clothes I or if I was like oh, I have a couple weeks off for a month and I might sublet a place or I would travel on my own or like yeah crash different places yeah 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 and it's still so weird to, you've done I never even like I never hung things on walls I still am like terrible at that like even at my home now <laughs> I mean I used to be I something something snapped in me in the last year and I really I think it's just a culmination of me having lived this other lifestyle for so long that all I'm craving right now is routine, normalcy, a place that I can like unpack my suitcase and hang pictures. I just, yeah, I think living that other lifestyle for so long, I just kind of hit my breaking point and was like, I just want normal life right now. So I'm guessing that was a hard choice to make. Like very hard. What what has it been like in the time like coming up to that? Or like has it been a long time that you've been going back and forth? Or like No, I was really, really done. Like I was very I was so ready to be home. I knew that there was a problem in me when these last two tours that I did with her, I felt like a little bit of like a toddler having a temper tantrum about leaving. Like I just like really home. Yeah. When the time came for me to fly out for these last two tours, I was calling all my best friends crying, being like, I really don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And I was also like, what is wrong with me? I've never had that experience. Like in the last, especially, well, basically the entire time I ever toured, it was, I would live for the time that I would leave. Yeah. I would be counting down the days, you know? And it's not like we were just flying to, you know, the Midwest. It was like this last tour, we were flying overseas to Scandinavia, my favorite all over Europe. And I, I just knew then that something was wrong because I was like dreading it. And it had nothing to do with the job. It had nothing to do with her. It was literally just that 
I have been craving a normal life for so long, I think, that I just hit my breaking point. And I was like, I just want to be home. Like, yeah. I just want to be home. It was just plain and simple. It's like, I just wanted to be home. And I have so many projects that I feel like I have been putting aside that I've really wanted to work on because I never had a chance to do any of that. I've done that so many times too. Well, that's what too, because when I created the new role for myself is touring joyologists, like, and that was like, this is what I do. And then, then with that new evolution, that was sort of creating like a new business for myself, but it started on the road. But then like, oh, okay, that, that was before Instagram, but like Twitter and like these things. And so I would come off tour and then be like, oh, okay, people like follow me because I'm saying these things. I'll do a webinar. Maybe I'll coach, have coaching clients. So I would like start things and then be like, oh, yeah, I just got a call to go back on tour. Don't do that anymore. Like, you know, so I would still like, I started blogging and had social media, like Twitter or then with Instagram, but then be like, oh, and now tour. Oh, now I'm going to do this. Oh, now tour. Oh, I'm going to, I, nine years ago keeps coming up. Like, Nine years ago, I had moved to New York and I was like, I'm off the road. I discovered I'm a writer. I'm going to write my first book. Like there was a post from Facebook that just came back up. Like I'm writing my first book. And I was like ranting or whatever. Right now, I'm finally writing my book proposal for my first book. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. But like I kept getting this like, oh, tour. And then after tour, then even like other ideas and like that. It's like, oh, if I want to do these things, I have to actually stop and make space for them. Yeah. And that's the two. I kept giving my life up to other people, which I loved. Exactly. And it was so fucking scary when I quit touring for real. Yeah, it's um, it's been quite the roller coaster the last like month and a half. Well, we got to there when you were like, there's other projects that you wanted to do and you like I took over when you're like saying there are projects that you've been wanting to do and didn't have time for them because you kept going on tour or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I had a very similar experience that every time I would come home, I would, you know, have all these ideas and I'd have things I'd start and then I would just get uprooted again and back out on tour. Thankfully, I've been very lucky that my Instagram took off because that was something that I could continue while I was on the road. And yeah. that was the only thing that I've ever been able to um, continue because everything else required me to be home in some capacity and this I could do from anywhere around the world which is really cool uh, and so yeah I've been really really grateful that I've had that because it, it, I at least still had that outlet for me to start working on things myself through my Instagram but and while still being able to tour and that since one of the ways you you can make money on Instagram as a influencer, is that what helped you be able to make the like final be like, OK, I can leave because I can like have money to pay my rent while I then explore these other projects. And yeah, stuff. exactly. I'm so grateful for that avenue because, yeah, I don't know what I would be doing right now because I, I'm in such a transitional phase right now. It's a little crazy. I'm feeling a little bit like, why is this all happening at once? I know there's a reason for it. And I'm going to look back and be like, thank God it happened that way. It couldn't have happened any other way. But it's been a lot at once. I moved. I quit touring. Um, I'm working full time right now for myself with my Instagram. That's like a whole another beast that I've taken on. It's a lot more work than people can ever imagine. Not complaining. I love it. I'm so grateful for it. But it is a lot. It's intense. Um, and so there's just been so many different shifts lately that it's been, yeah, a little hard to navigate. Is there like, so that's when you're like all at once, it's just like the physical move coming with the getting off tour and then just like, oh, this is now what I'm going to put my priority on. 
which is like a whole different business in its own. Exactly. Right? And then now it's kind of figuring out because I have a couple different ideas that I've been floating around with for the last few years. And now now that it's game time, I'm a little paralyzed in like what path I want to take um, because I have a couple things that I want to do. And so I'm really just right now taking the time to explore what I think would be the best route for me to go. Yeah. When I left tour for me it was like the end of like a contract like I was on that on somebody's cycle like end of tour cycle yeah and so it ended so it wasn't necessarily me making the choice but it also was knowing like I was working a year and a half straight and was like at this at the end of this I'm not looking for another tour I think this is it because I also was in a relationship I've always wanted to have kids so like I need to like start to make a life for myself to in a for me I was like I need to make a possibility to make money off the road yeah. Too, because I didn't exactly. like have any other business besides, like I said, sometimes, okay, now I do a coaching. Now I do this. Now I go back on tour. And so, but I was like so scared, but I didn't, I didn't do anything for like three to six months. I didn't do it. Well, because I had savings, but I mean like on purpose, I was so drained from touring and burnt out and I loved what I did and I loved the people that I was with and I was so grateful for it, but I was just so drained that I was like, nope okay I have these ideas and I, I would work on them but I like gave like so just sharing that too to like give yourself some space to like allow and not to pressure like which one do I do next because for me that's always been something I've been able to do even if I don't have money I'm like I guess I go in a credit card th this month because I've always been able to be like I have to actually like give myself space to see what feels right and I think yeah. so many people jump to like I have to know what's next and it's also like I have to give an answer to people oh I'm gonna people are gonna be like what are you doing now yeah. And, that, and like for me, it was like getting off that tour. What are you doing now? People are like, all right, so you're not tour. What are you going to do? And I would just be like, I don't know. Or like, and I would just be like, I'm taking right now. I'm just like not doing things like it was just that. And to be comfortable in that, because I think that so often we're just like afraid to be in the unknown and the I don't know in the pause space. We rush into it just to like have an answer for somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's so real. Sometimes you do just need to take a break. I am thinking now that I probably should or like should have <laughs> taken a break because I, yeah, I just, I went full blown into Instagram and it's great, but I kind of feel like I needed a second to like process everything, the loss of the touring. Cause I mean, I've, I've done that for pretty much my whole entire yeah. adult life. Yeah. Um, and I've really made a decision that this is it. Like I could take on other jobs. I actually like very ironically got an email a week before I left Tove that was from a management team asking if I wanted to go on tour this fall with a band. And I think it was a test from the universe yeah, being like, that stuff totally are you going to bite? Are you going to bite? Are you going to like stay true to what you've been saying and feeling? Because it was probably something like exciting that you were like, <gasps> yeah, wait, I, I don't know. It's funny because I, I went through a very like funny phase of that. So I got the email and my initial reaction was, nope, nope, nope. And then I slept on it. And then I was like, wait, but you know, maybe I could just do this one tour. So then I thought about that for a second. So I ended up emailing them and then <laughs> had another sleep on it. And then I was like, what am I doing? I've been telling all my friends that I want to stay home. And now I'm just going to take another tour. Like, no, what are you doing? So then I ultimately just ended up writing them back, just being like, I'm so sorry, but I just need to listen to myself right now. And I can't take on any more projects right now. Um, and I, obviously, I'm so glad that I did that because I really just need to be home right now. 
Yeah. And forever. I mean, same as you. Like, I would love to have a family someday. Touring is not conducive with that whatsoever. <laughs> Dating is very hard when you're gone all the time. Yeah, well, unless you date the person you're on tour with, which is what I did. I made so. that mistake as well. <laughs> like, which some works out, sometimes doesn't. But yeah, like, that's how, that was the only way I was able to meet somebody and then be like, maybe I can take time off. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I don't know how I would have been in a relationship. Nope. Hard. Do you mind talking about, I feel like, is there some childhood trauma (laughs) i'm like i don't know how to like go there since you didn't bring it up but i'm like i somewhat know something that i don't or like yeah i mean it doesn't naturally usually come up just because we usually just start talking from like college on yeah yeah i so i lost both of my siblings at different times of my life um i lost my little sister when i was eight she was six and she got hit by a car riding her bike down a hill uh, like a block from my house it was um to say it was traumatic is an understatement (laughs) She was, she was six, six and, and I was you eight. were eight. So you were older. Yeah. She, she the was she the youngest? Yeah, she was the only one. So at that point, it was just me and my sister. Oh. My parents ended up going back and having my brother after we lost my sister because they they were like, we you know we never wanted you to be an only child. We would love to have another kid. Um, yeah, and so I mean the whole yeah the whole thing is very sad and tragic. But did you you didn't see your sister? No, but. It's so it happened so close to my house and my mom, we knew that she was riding her bike back from her friend's house. So we knew that she was coming home and my mom was a little bit like looking at the clock being like, it's so weird. Morgan should be back by now. And so we heard a fire truck drive down the street and my mom was like, run down there and like, see what it is. And I got to the end of the block and I saw them lifting her in the ambulance. Yeah, it was really tough. And so then you had to run back to your mom and tell her. Yeah. At that point, my mom actually came running down because I think she had gotten wind maybe from a neighbor or something like that. And then, yeah. And then it was just like a whirlwind. I mean, it's crazy how childhood trauma works, too, because I remember that so, so, so vividly. And then I do not remember like the next year of my life at all. I don't remember the funeral. I could not tell you anything that happened. I have no idea. I really just like blocked all of it out because it was so traumatic. I can't imagine. Yeah, it was really tough. I'm guessing that, yeah, that greatly affected your life in many different ways then. Did yeah. it create, I mean, were your parents then like super protective or was that like then them dealing with loss, but then wanting to show up for you? You know, it's interesting because so I became after that a very, very independent kid because I'm I'm only now realizing how much of an an effect it had on me as a kid. I started going back to therapy. I've been in and out of therapy most of my life because of that. Yeah. And then a couple of years ago, I really, yeah, I really started addressing it in a way that I never had before because I feel like maybe I finally felt like ready to. And I'm now realizing really truly the the massive impact that it had on me as a kid because I don't know how, but I've been innately such a positive person my whole life, even through all these tragedies. And it's not some face I put on. I'm genuine, like just generally a very happy person. I've, for whatever reason, been able to metabolize these traumas and still have some sort of a positive outlook on life. How? I really could not even tell you. But as a result, then I've always thought like, oh, I'm fine. I'm happy. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm well adjusted and, you know, whatever. But I started going back to therapy a couple of years ago and 
my relationship with my parents has never been that great because after all this happened, then my parents had my little brother and he was born with a neurological, like some sort of neurological damage. We really, to this day, we don't even really know what happened. He was born completely healthy three days in or whatever, like two or three days in when you go to leave the hospital, yeah. they were literally checking. Like they were, my mom was like signing the paperwork out. They gave him a couple shots. His fever shot up, like spiked. And then at that point he had to go into an incubator for a couple weeks and he was just never the same. So we really don't know what happened. My parents flew him around to specialists around the country trying to get answers. But basically he passed away when he was 12. I always forget, 11 or 12. Was he then like living... Like, was he able to, like, go to school and stuff or like, or was... So he was basically an infant his whole life. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He couldn't hold up his head. It was very sad, too, because we could tell that he knew what was going on because any time that my mom, you know, like, okay, so, for example, when I was in college, my mom would be feeding him. I mean, she she fully had just had to treat him like an infant until he passed away, like, was having to carry him around everywhere, feed him with a bottle. And when she would call me, she'd be like, Corbin, uh, Courtney's on the phone. And his face would light up like he was very aware of everything around him. But it was almost like he was like trapped in his body. It was very sad. And was his size, though, equivalent with what like a 12-year-old would be and stuff? Exactly. Yeah. So then was like in a wheelchair and just had to have constant care. So what I to go back to what I was talking about before, as a result, I'm only now realizing the impact all that had on me as a kid. I became incredibly independent and not not dependent on my parents at all for anything. That totally would make sense. Like almost to the point where I mean, not even almost like to the point where it's really damaged our relationship now, because as a result, my parents aren't really a safe place for me, sadly. But it's something I don't like about our relationship. And so a couple of years ago, I asked my parents if they would start coming into therapy sessions with me so that we could talk about it and like start to mend it. And kind of explore it and figure it out. And it's, yeah, it's been incredibly healing for me to be able to do that and really like also really eye-opening. Um, it's pretty wild the things that you can go through and the things that affect you, and you really don't even have any idea until you start kind of digging, if that makes sense. No, like, totally. Yeah. So a lot of things came up that I was really unaware of until like the last couple of years where it makes sense. Um, but basically what was happening is my parents were so focused on my little brother. Well, they were gr- we were all grieving so intensely about my little sister that we couldn't even like come up for air. And then everything happened with my brother. So I was always the kid that they didn't have to worry about because, you know, I was functioning. I was going to school. I was like yeah. a normal functioning adult. And so I emotionally got neglected and not on purpose. Again, this is nothing against my parents. No. Well, I mean, I can't even imagine, especially as a parent now, too. And like, so to lose one child and it's much as you would, they would want to show up for you, of course. Yeah, they were also. How shattered they must be as much as they would have tried to be there. Like, it's that it's not of any fault of their own, just like this. And then they have a son and then that. Of course, he. how could he not demand all of the attention? And yeah. that you must have also then, when it seems like what you're saying is becoming independent, that you must have been showing up like, I got it. Like, like yeah. the not just like the independent, like, oh, you don't pay any attention to me. Like, that you were just like, oh, okay. Like, it's like, I just do my thing. I don't want to be a bother. And just like that, in, instead of taking on the like feeling like you're being neglected, you turned it into, I'm so independent. Don't worry about me. That is literally exactly what happened. 
because in like I was saying earlier, I spent most of my life just being like, oh my God, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm totally fine. I got this. I'm so independent. I do everything on my own, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, that, that became my narrative. And I was very proud of it. I was very proud of being like a lone wolf, as I used to call myself, and being very independent. And I prided myself on not needing anyone else or anything. And that I was fine and I was super strong and I could get through everything. Well, turns out I've been lying to myself. I was like nodding because I'm like, even though I have a totally different experience, I'm like, yep, my stories I carried around for a long time. Yeah. Well, because like as a kid, so you think about it, when all this was happening, I was eight years old. So I'm looking around seeing my parents absolutely devastated. And what was going on in my head was, okay, I'm okay. I can save face. Like the last thing they need is something else to worry about. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. Like, I don't want them to worry about me. So then that ultimately became like, I'm this independent. I don't need you. Like, you know? And so then it was kind of this like. No, it's interesting because I, yeah, I had the same like built up the, I don't need anybody. I'm so independent. I don't need anybody. Like I carried around. I don't need you was sort of like, but I was like so generous and loving and caring to other people, yeah. but I also would not allow people to like help or contribute to me. Like, no, I don't need you. I got this. I'm so independent. But I don't know where mine traces back to, but I, it was the opposite. Whereas like, I felt like nobody cared about me. So then I created my independent, whereas like you created out of the opposite of like needing like, okay, they've got other things to worry about or sort yeah. of things. But mine was like, well, it doesn't feel like people care about me. So well, like, fine, I don't need anybody. Yeah. Like <laughs> classic. And that, but like living a lot of my life that yeah. way, which like, of course, we ended up like on tour and like and being like, let's just throw ourselves out in here. <laughs> like, exactly. We families that assemble and disassemble every couple months and like <laughs> yeah i i know it's it's why i was thriving in that lifestyle for so long i think it's also why because i've been doing this deep work the last couple of years and really understanding more about myself and how i function in relationships especially with my parents but you know just in general i'm realizing too i think that's part of the reason why i wanted to stop touring because i'm really working on all of this and not, I think I, in a way I was like running away from things for a yeah. long time too. Totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, for sure. I'm like, I think that's another reason why I kept saying yes to it too. And that like, that's what I said. I kept that I would take those spaces, which the first one was my, I only would have done it. And that's like in the like writing of the book that was just starting this week or whatever. I ended up starting with like realizing that if my father hadn't passed away, when would I have stopped? And when, yeah. like, and that for me was the first time in my life, like, that I actually, like, stopped and was like, well, what do you want to do? And that was where I took out the word should for my vocabulary. And that's what the book will end up being about. But, like, that, so then shifted to want. So taking, I stopped saying the word should. So what do I want? And so every day asking myself, what do I want to do? What do I want to wear? And I so was so scared because at that time, too, I didn't have any money. I was supposed to be on tour for an entire year. I got the call that he had died when I was getting on a plane to Australia for like in March. So I was on supposed to be on tour the entire year for a new album coming out. Um, And I went for a couple of weeks and I was like, I can't do this anymore. But I so wanted after I quit that tour and I was like, I'm never doing send again. I gave the tour over to somebody else. And then a couple of weeks would go by and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to make money. I need to go back out on tour. Like that, the fears, even though I was like, no, you chose this. It was just felt so much easier to go back and do something else than to be and really like be with myself and explore. And for the first time, be like, okay, what do I do with my life? What do I like? 
And also for me, it was a big eye opener is that it was always so easy to not be able to say yes to something because I could just lean on my old friend tour. Oh my God. And so then I, I had to actually that. choose, do I want to go to that person's? Now I am available for all these invitations of parties, come see my show, do this, this event, this, that wedding. And so then I actually had to then, oh, well, what do I want now that I actually have a choice? Like, oh, yes. I don't like going out late anymore. Like what it was like reevaluating who I was for the first time, like should being like, what do I want? I should go to that party. I should go to my friend's wedding. Do I actually want to? No. And that's OK. And I can still support them. But it was like it was such a game changer in that, like not escaping anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm there right now. I'm feeling that very intensely right now because I'm in a space for the first time in for as long as I can possibly remember that I am able to like say yes to all these things because just like you before it was just default like oh no sorry I mean maybe I'll be there I don't know and it would always be kind of this last minute thing and you know it was really hard on my friendships because people couldn't really like depend on me and I hate that because I am a very like dependable like loyal friend but as far as like making plans with me it was very it's been very tough for people and in a way, I feel like I, I mean, I didn't do it on purpose, like with touring, but yeah, I really leaned into that and was like, I mean, I just, you know, the decision was made for me. Yeah. So now I'm in a space where I'm, I am a bit like in a decision, like paralyzation because I just don't, I'm not used to being able to have so much agency over my own life. So it's a little scary and overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Well, my piece of advice. Try eliminating the word should, and then you ask yourself, you get to weigh it out. Yeah, <laughs> but it really I like is. That. I mean, that is my main thing. <laughs> like, but it really like that was so game changing for me because it is so much. I should do this. I should. I should go to this event. I should reply to this email. What do I want? And then it's still like, even if it's like things that you need to do, have to do, and you're like, well, that's not a want. Then like, well, why do I want to do this? Or if you're like, I don't want to reply to this email or I don't want to go to this event, but well, why? Because, well, I want those people to think well of me or if I'm going to work with them or whatever it is. So it allows you to like move through procrastination and figure out the whys of things and also just be like, do I even want to do this? Or is this just an old pattern? Or do I do this because I think people will think this of me? Like to, it's like a one, one word thing. And it really like showed me so much in my life and continues to. Yeah. I really resonate with that. I think I'm at a space in my life where I'm there's the highs are really high and the lows are really low at this moment because I'm I'm realizing, you know, now that I've been doing a lot of this like deep work recently, there's been a lot of resistance in myself of even though I want to face this and I want to address a lot of the traumas that I have and the relationships that I have, like the issues that I have in relationships as a result of that. Um, but then when I get really deep into that work, I'm like, seeing a lot of resistance, like, no, 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 I don't want to look at this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to face this. But I just keep telling myself that I know that this is, I'm going to be glad I did it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of other things that I'm dealing with that if I don't address this, then those are just going to be my forever in life. And I would rather take those head on and take the pain with it and yeah. learn from it. No, totally. And that's it. If you put it off now, it's like going to just keep resurfacing and keep yeah. resurfacing and keep resurfacing. It's like it is. It's like the hard stuff to move through, but it's really so worth it. And like that's like, yeah. And I think that's 
the biggest point of being a positive person or seeing the positivity thing for me now is because it's not like fake. It's like seeing the real and like, you know, moving, seeing the real doubt, seeing the real feel, seeing the real wound. Oh, wow. And I'm still, and it's funny, you're talking about how like, you know what you said, or maybe just being in therapy and like realizing things that like, for me starting this podcast and having conversations with people, I'm unraveling trauma in my life that I have like blocked away Wow! because I'm having conversations with people about stuff and things are coming up that I don't generally talk about in life. And yeah. so like, it has been an interesting thing for me that I'm like, okay, I think uh, time to go to therapy for all of these things that I didn't even realize were like locked up inside of me from like, or that like, I thought I dealt with or thought Absolutely. I managed and like that there's so much stuff like living inside of us. But yeah, if you don't face it, it's you're just carrying around this like heavy bag, <laughs> like you know, exactly. it's like it's so heavy. And so it feels hard to like work through things and work on things and shift it. But it's worth it because then you feel like so free and light and like and it doesn't mean it's not going to stop coming up. It's never like <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the journey of, of life. Is, exactly. Some of this I will probably carry with me forever. It's just part of like who I am. It's like my scars, you know? Yeah. But, but you get quicker and quicker, like even not like you said, like the independent thing and like like stuff like that that I'm able to see. Oh, this is me buying thinking like nobody cares about me. So I'm making up. I don't you know, whatever. Like so I'm not letting anybody help me and I'm not letting any support be when I'm closing everybody off and I'm feeling this way. I'm not telling everybody and I'll even be like, nobody cares about me. Like nobody checks in. And I'm like, meanwhile, have you told anybody, Trisha, how you're feeling to allow anybody to support you? No. <laughs> like, so you just like become aware of your patterns to be able to open it up. But like, oh, this is me again, pretending like living into the story just like of pretending this. everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds so simple, but something that I've really been working on the last couple of years is really just like admitting when I'm like not okay. Yeah. Because my it's whole so major. Yeah. Because my default, no matter what, is, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm okay. Everything's fine. And I mean, I think like you never want to take anything to an extreme. So I think like I'm also careful to not just like go off the deep end and be like, everything is, you know, fucked and I'm not okay. And everything, you know, like to that extreme either. But I also think that there's a power in that vulnerability to just be like, you know what? No, life has been really hard recently. And like, I'm not okay right now, but I will be. I'm taking steps to be to be okay. Um, and and also just kind of accepting with where you're at and just knowing and trusting that where you're at right now is not going to be forever. Yeah. Guys, I have to tell you about my infrared sauna blanket. I have one. Courtney also has one. We use them regularly. They are amazing. Basically, I use one and no matter what I feel like when I get into the thing, I feel amazing afterwards. It's great for detoxing, for alleviating sore muscles when I'm just like stressed out. It clears my mind, clears my body. You sweat. Get in it. You wear pants. You wear a shirt. You wear socks. You lay in this thing. I turn it on to number seven. I turn on a good show or a podcast. You can listen to this podcast. And then you lay there and sweat. Make sure to have water handy because you're going to need it. It's almost like getting a workout. Your heart rate gets up so high, but you don't work out. So it's great when you're sore. It's great when you're fighting sickness. It's great when you're tired and you need an energy boost. I seriously use the thing one to four times a week and I am obsessed. I also, by the way, have fibromyalgia. It really helps when I'm having a flare up with that. 
Highly, highly, highly recommend it. You can go to higherdose.com, look up the infrared sauna blanket, and you can use the code JOY100 to get $100 off. That code may be expired by the time you buy this, but don't. Do it right now. Get $100 off. If it does, you can use JOY50. That one's good for always. Or get $50 off. They also offer an interest-free <laughs> interest payment plan. Makes it easier to make the purchase. You get $100 off or $50 interest-free payments. You get your money's worth so fast. Because like I said, I use this thing all the time. It changes how I feel in my body, how I feel in my mind. I basically feel like I'm flying after I use the thing. And feel free to DM me and ask me any questions about it because I am obsessed and I do want you to have this in your life at your joyologist. Higherdose.com, code JOY100 or JOY50. All right, let's get back to the episode. Do you think that you struggle with like, you know, like the fact of it when you're saying just saying you're not okay, I was taking that to mean like telling other people like so that they can help to support you, but also just naming it yourself. Like, hey, I'm yeah. not okay. But like, do you think that you had sort of what I did from like didn't allow people to support you because of like growing up of like, okay, I can't, I don't want to bring anything else to my parents or whatever. So that even oh, yeah. like in your relationships and friendships now that you were like keeping yourself a bit like closed off or like, oh, you know, because I always found like I was the person, oh, let me support you, open up, do everything for you. I'll drive you to the airport, everything. But like, don't let, no, I'm fine. I'm good. No, I'm not going to tell you about my stuff. I'm not going to let you drive me even five minutes. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely been me. I mean, I would like to say or I would hope that I'm moving through some of that. And I really do think I am. Yeah. Because I am at a place now where I'm able to, at least with my like very close friends, um, able to really like admit like, you know, I'm just like not okay right now. But there is a little alarm that still goes off in my head sometimes. It's like, this is too much. This is too much. You're going to burden them. Um, I've been really fortunate that my my best girlfriend, um, she and I started going to therapy around the same time. And we are really in a place now where we're like, we're both going through our different struggles at the moment, but they're somehow very strangely paralleling, even though like what I'm going through is so drastically different than her, but like her to explain, they're still like very paralleled. And I'm just so thankful that I have her because she and I have really, we've been in a way kind of using our, using each other in a relationship as a way to like practice how to do that in life because she and I have been She's I mean, I've been more vulnerable with her than like anyone else ever in my life. And same with her. And we're both really good with I'll catch myself sometimes being like, I'm so sorry. This is too much. And she'll come back to me and be like, I have space for you. This is not too much. Yeah. Like I'm holding space for you. I know it feels really heavy and huge for you, but like, I'm fine. Look at me. I'm fine. I can take this. And then I do the same thing back to her. And it's really just it's been such a learning experience for me and helped me to realize that that it's like you're not too much for everyone, no. you know? And and what feels really big and scary and heavy and too much for me is not it's not the same for other people, you know? Yeah. And again, like I do think there's a fine line because you also don't want to go around literally just like dumping your right. shit on other people, but I think there's a difference between allowing someone to care for you emotionally versus like just dumping things on them, you know? Yeah. Like, well, and that's, and that's, yeah. Like you're having the conversation like that person. It's like, 
you're allowing them to support you and they're you're allowing them to show up for you. And it's like, yeah, there is a difference than just spewing it on everybody. Yeah. But like that, yeah, it's just like the time, you know, like you have your people for that or like realizing that you are able to open up. A lot of it is just a practice, too, I think. Yeah, totally. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It's less scary. And the cool thing, too, is I've realized like it's brought it's brought me closer to some people in my life that I never thought I would get, you know, as close with. Because I've noticed, too, that once you open that door, it then gives them permission to also do the same. And I've just realized that when you get to that place of vulnerability and you start admitting your your weaknesses and when you're not OK, it, you feel so much more connected with that person. Yeah. Because it goes so much deeper than just like a. Yeah, like let's, you know, like it's just so much deeper than just being like a party friend. And like we just talk about gossip and everyday life. It's like, oh, we're getting into like the deep darkies. And now that I know the inner workings of you, I feel so much closer to you. And now I know how to support you, too, because before it was like what I really struggled with this girlfriend of mine. It's it's honestly when I look back, it's pretty ironic that she and I are as close as we are because she was always my friend back in the day that was like. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I just have a smile on all the time and everything's fine. And I was like, bitch, I know you're going through stuff right now, uh, but you're just not letting me in. Yeah. And that in of itself was such a strain on our relationship because then I was having a hard time connecting with her because I was like, I know that like you're going through something right now, but you're just not talking about yeah. it. And so then, yeah, I've just noticed that it's really like brought some really amazing re like relationships in my life. Yeah. No, it's so amazing. And that I had my like a big aha with that too. And something that helps me is so Matthew and Terzi's Engelhart, the creators of Cafe Gratitude. I learned this from them years ago, but it took me years to figure out what, what the real meaning of it. They would like say giving and receiving is one and the same. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'm a great giver. So check, I must be a great receiver. But when I <laughs> finally realized like, that in giving, wait, how am I saying it right now? So as I have, I struggle with allowing people to support me. And so what I realized though, I love supporting other ones. Oh my, yeah, please, Courtney, like, tell me, let me support you. Like, let me show up for you. Like, let me listen to what's going on with you. And yeah. I feel great doing that for you. But I wasn't allowing people to do that for me. So like, it felt, it feels great to be have it be almost an exchange to be a receiver, like, but like, but not even with the exchange, but allowing, I never allowed anybody to do that. But so when I allow other people to give to me, to contribute to me, then I'm giving them the gift of receiving. Yeah, Like I feel good being that safe space for you, opening up, supporting you, driving to the airport, whatever it may be, helping you when you're in a bind. Yeah, I feel good doing that, but I wasn't letting people do that for me. So I was keeping the relationship like closed. And so then I was giving, then I'd be able to give people the opportunity to contribute to me. So yeah. that was like the giving, the receiving that I like, oh, that's so beautiful. This feels good. So like, I'm not burdening them. They want this feeling of supporting me that I get. Yeah. I still like, I'm so good at it now, but I still struggle with it. And something interesting before I start our questions. So I was giving a speech at Ignited a couple of weeks ago and it was like my first time doing like, a, like, oh, you have 30 minutes to talk for you, Trisha, in a very long time. And even though I knew what I wanted to say, it was like, again, I'm, I'm comfortable with a microphone, whatever, but standing in front of people. And what am I going to say? I want to have one clear point. And I was so nervous, but I practiced it in front of some friends and that made me even more nervous. Sometimes it does. Yeah. You know, and so then... 
and it wasn't even, it was a version of it, but it was just like, let me pratt like, oh, what is it like for me to actually open my mouth and people are staring at me when I say this thing that I so strongly believe in? So it was a practice of me getting comfortable, but like I felt like a burden in these people saying yes to listening to me talk for 30 minutes about something that I believe so powerfully in. And when I left, that friend said to me, thank you so much for letting us be a part of that. And I like, I'm about to go into tears right now remembering it because again, I was like, what? That they felt great that I allowed them to be there for me. And I'm like, I don't want to ask somebody to listen to me. That's like a burden. They don't care. They don't have anything else to do. Which by the way, this is somebody I used to work for (laughs) and tour with. So like they have a lot of things going on. They're rehearsing for a tour. They had like albums, like they had big projects going on, you know? And so it was the hardest ask I had to make. That's really cool though. And then I'm thinking I'm there and they were the best audience, gave me great feedback and leaving said, thank you so much for allowing us to be part of this. That's so cool. And meanwhile, the narrative in your head is, oh God, I'm just burdening them. I just wasted 30 minutes of their time. Like, why did I ask them to do this? You know, whatever we tell ourselves. Yeah. And it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I say this a lot. Let other people surprise you. Yeah. Because you never know. And you know what? If you're going to push someone away because you're, quote unquote, too much, then they weren't meant to be in your life anyways. And it's just a natural weeding out of people that are not able to show up for you. Yeah. And what I've learned is that that is a reflection more of them and their stuff going on than it is of yours. Yeah. So you kind of, yeah. And then this this is how you you weed out and you strengthen relationships. Yeah. And that's also for me, that was a hard thing too to be like, well, then am I saying something's wrong with them or I'm better than them of letting go of relationships? Because also I'm sure like you, when you tour for a long time, you end up have like a lot, like, you know, it's different than you have one job or two jobs and you make these work friends. You have like so many friends and family Mm -hmm. members from the years. And so even like in those or in my college friends, like I've had so many friends over the years and that I had to realize like the vibes and how I feel around people and stuff. And it, it felt, it first felt really hard for me to sort of like let go of relationships because I felt like I was judging them or saying I was better than them. And then it was just like, no, it's just a different energy. But also some, they all, sometimes they come back around and yeah. sort of just allowing like it's a, this seeing compassion for that person. Like, great, I don't feel, this isn't feel great right now. They're not great for this. They're not the person I tell my entire dump to. They're the person I do this. And that like, for me, that would helped as well to be able to navigate who I spent my time with now that I could choose. Well, I also feel like there, it's good to have a bunch of different kinds of relationships and friendships. Yeah. Because you have just some friends serve different purposes than others, you know, and that's OK. I think that's healthy. Yeah. No, I love it. And that's what when at the Ignited like positivity panel, too, that they recorded. I was just like, I have friends that are from all different worlds that are not like just wellness people and ser- personal development people in this. And like and I love it in that you don't have to cut everybody out of your life. And sometimes you might sometimes you might not talk to somebody for a couple of years and then like and then, oh, wait, this refound connection and stuff, too. So bring that for people that do because I know so many people struggle with friendships and relationships and well, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, truly, like it's interesting that we're even talking about this because this has been something that has really it's been kind of the forefront of my life in the last couple of years because I mean, not to go down like too deep of a path, but one of the things that has been coming up for me a lot the last few years that I've become very aware of is that I really have a hard time in relationships with like intimacy in relationships and not I'm not even talking about like in 
romantic partners. Yeah. Just, just like allowing people. Yeah. Allowing people to show up to for show you fully up. and know you fully probably. Exactly. I think I spent so much of my life focusing on, because I think I thought like, if I just kept telling myself I was okay and I didn't address it, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, that I would be okay and fine. And then like, as a result, you know, I kind of realized that I, yeah, just by like what you were saying, like not allowing people to show up for me was kind of, I wasn't allowing them the gift to be able to show up for me. Yeah. You know, and as a result, they didn't feel that close to me. They felt pretty closed off. There was like kind of a disconnect. And so it's something that I've really had to yeah, just like work on. And it's scary. Like we're talking about it now. Like, oh, yeah, you just do this and it's fine. It is scary. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, I still cry about it in therapy with it because I'm still very much in the process of it. And I think, yeah, I just think it's a work in progress and it's literally a practice. It is. No, it's totally. Like, that's what I'm like. I still struggle with it. Sometimes I may be great. And then, like I said, something comes up and then I'm in my head like nobody believes in me. And blah, 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 blah. Nobody even cares about me. Nobody wants to be my friend. Like I'll still spin stories about the most ridiculous. And there's like tied to the same old things. And I have to like them be like, what's going on? And then it's so uncomfortable. And sometimes I have to call a friend and be like, this is so stupid. And I'm like, how old am I? I think I'm 38 years old. <laughs> And I like am making up that you don't like like childhood ass shit will still sometimes burden me and it's uncomfortable, but I will have to like have those conversations and be like, I just need to tell you to tell me that you love me. Or, like <laughs> whatever, like not like that, but it is no, like a bit of is. like and yeah. it's so uncomfortable. But the other choice is that I isolate myself and I go into this version of nobody cares about me, nobody's there for me because I'm not allowing them to be. No, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. Meanwhile, my friends know nothing's wrong with me. Because, yeah. Because I'm not telling them. And I will just be sitting there crying, thinking nobody even cares about me. I'm laughing out about it, but it's like No, but it's like very, yeah, it's it's very real. Yeah. Um, I feel like adulthood is just a a dance of like taking ownership of your actions and realizing how you're showing up in the world versus accepting that how other people are showing up to you is more of a reflection of them and less of you. You know, it's this kind of fine dance, I feel like, of really checking in with yourself and being like, okay, what am I doing that is causing this reaction in someone else to me? And then what are they doing that's just really a reflection of that they either, for whatever reason, can't show up for me? Yeah. Or, and sometimes it's because you haven't given them exactly <laughs> yeah I agree it really is like not always no not always some of it is like they have their own shit going on mm -hmm. and that's too we can then create like that something happened or something's wrong like yeah like I mean okay so I'll give an example so we're not just talking generality yeah. I had something happen to me recently it was about a month ago I have a, a girlfriend here who I so ever since I stopped touring since I've been home I've been working very hard to strengthen and like cultivate my my female friendships here in LA because I spent so much time traveling you know I have a lot of friends but I'm you know now that I'm home full-time it's a it's a different ball game because now I'm here I can actually hang out I can do things so I've been I've found myself reaching out to a lot of girlfriends and I have this one girlfriend in particular who I just you know I was calling her I was texting her and I just kind of felt like I was not really getting much of a response back it was kind of like She'd leave me on red and DMs and then, you know, wouldn't respond for two days of text messages. And I really created this narrative in my head that it's like, oh, I guess she just doesn't want to be my friend anymore. Like, I'm too much for her. I'm annoying. 
She doesn't want to be my friend. She's over it. She's icing me out. So I had this whole narrative going on. And so I really pulled back and was like, okay, I guess, you know, she's shown me she doesn't want to be my friend. She maybe like two weeks later when I was kind of just like, you know what? I'm just going to give it space and just like it is what it is, calls me and she's like basically in tears. And she's like, Courtney, I just have to tell you something. I'm so sorry. I know that you've like been reaching out and you've been trying to hang out. I broke up with my boyfriend a couple weeks ago and I'm not okay. And I haven't been able to talk about it to anyone. So I've just been shutting everyone out and isolating myself. And I remember in that moment just being like, one, thank you so much for telling me that because it helped me understand where you were. And then it immediately reminded me, it took me out of my own head of being like, oh my God, this has nothing to do with me. Like, of course she still wants to be my friend. She just was like not okay and didn't want to talk about it with anyone. Yeah. Because she knew that the second we'd hang out, it would be the first thing that would come out. And she was like, I just don't want to she deal with it. She wasn't ready to... Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so it's just, I feel like that's such a perfect example of there's so much more going on most of the time. Yeah, and than, we all have so much. Well, humans in oh life, God, it's like we're yes. all like navigating so much. And so. Yeah, and I really think we live in such a crazy time where we're constantly having information being thrown at us with the internet. Things are constantly shoved down, down our throat. Like we're constantly you know, we're tethered to our phones. So we don't ever have space from anyone anymore, really. And while that's so cool, and there's a lot of aspects that are really amazing about it, I also think that at least for me and a lot of my friends resonate with this as well. Like we're, we're in a space where we're so overwhelmed that like we can't even get a break in like a moment for ourselves. Yeah. So I've found that I'm more frequently like ignore texts a lot and I'll get back to people a day later or whatever it is. And it's, I was always so prideful in like, I was the one that was always like promptly responding right away, no matter what, even if I was in bad, like I just was bending over backwards. And then I've really taken a step back and been like, okay, I need to take care of myself first. Yeah. And then I can address everything else. And it's just like, yeah, I feel like we're in a time that's very crazy. We're getting a lot of stuff shot at us from every angle in life. No, totally. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's like, it seems yeah, we do need to make space for ourselves. And it's harder when it's like, oh, you just pick up the phone. I, the other day, yesterday, I was in a store to pick up something. And that was a very long store, but I knew where my one item was. And as I was walking from the front of the store to the back, I pulled out my phone, like, let me check this. I was going to check like a deal on something that had nothing to do with what I was doing because in, and I stopped myself. I was like, what am I doing? I had like 20 seconds of free time but I'm not free time because I was walking from one point to the next. But I'm like, let me do this. And I was like, what am I doing right now? Like, Because we have access to the phone. I was like, let me check out a hotel. That's what it was because I was going to get a hotel for tonight in L.A. And then I was like, let me check out hotels tonight and see what new deals are coming up Like as I'm walking because I can't just be like walking with myself alone in a store. And I've probably had headphones on listening to a music or a podcast at the same time. Too. Like, I, like I know. What am I doing? What the fuck? Put it away. It's like. I mean, I've I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I, I read something about this or I heard it on a podcast where you look back on, the, on a time before cell phones, we had so much more time alone to ourselves. Think about like, okay, you're sitting in the doctor's office waiting to go in. Like, yeah, they would have magazines or whatever, but that was like, there's just so many little opportunities for you to like sit with yourself and think and yeah. process th- through things. And now any moment that we have, 
waiting in the grocery store line. Like any moment we have, we're just like, we're bored for five seconds. We have to get out our phones and be on our phones. And before cell phones, that was a time that you would have a time to like, you know, process through your day or think about things in your life that, you know, that you're going through or whatever. And now we, we have to be very intentional with that. Like we, we have to actually make time to make time and carve it out. And even then half the time we don't do it, you know, because it's so easy now just to escape to our phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I was having that realization at that, uh, unwell conference too. Cause I like went alone. I was like, okay, but I knew I knew some people there and I was there. And when there were breaks, and like I was standing in line too, then I immediately wanted to pull my phone out. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, but before phones, like I didn't do this. So I kept trying to put my phone away and be like, talk to the people in front of you that you don't know. But so many people are just like, okay, I've talked to everybody. I know I did this. So let me just now open up Instagram or let me do this. It's so easy. But yeah, you're right about that. Then the spending time alone or like, when are we like processing stuff? Because yeah, it's like, let me get in the car and listen to this podcast. Let me do this. Let me like that. Yeah. Let me check this. And that like, just the like moments of processing. There's not much. Yeah. Time alone to just check in with yourself anymore. That scares me. When I came to that realization, I was like, I need to be better at not just constantly feeling all the time, you know? It's hard though, because life is hard. Sometimes I don't want to face that shit, you know? And all I want to do is retreat on Instagram and to see what all my friends are doing and whatever and not have to think about and check in with myself and think about what's going on. And yeah, it's hard. That's, yeah. I'm like, I think I even posted on Instagram like two days ago, like make space, like, and it's just like any minute, like take a couple minutes. And like, even if it's just like, oh, let me take two minutes and like, how am I feeling? Yeah. What do I want to feel? What do I want? Like, or that just even like that sort of like checking in. <sighs> yeah, there's a lot. And our phones are like such a blessing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they've brought us a lot of opportunity. And but it's also kind of the the detriment of us, I feel yeah. like. Oh, and what you're talking about, the alerts, like I've been off alerts for a while. I think that that was a thing that came to me like in motherhood. But I realized I then would like apologize. So I now no longer even apologize. Like even if I don't reply to an email within a week, I'll sometimes go through my inboxes and reply to stuff weeks ago. I still won't apologize. I just reply. Because then I used to feel like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to this text two hours ago. I'm so sorry. And just like, now it's just like, I reply. Yeah. I mean, that's a really hard one. That's a, that's an everyday practice for me. I'm, I am getting better about it. I'm better about it when I'm faced with it. And like, if I like type it out in a text or an email, I will catch myself saying, I'm sorry. And then I immediately delete it. And I'm like, no, I don't need to apologize for this. It's okay. that's in my mind when I'm saying that, then I'm like, I'm just creating for other people to live into this. Like we have to like be supply demand, like immediately like in that. And so that I feel like if I apologize, cause I didn't reply to this text and I'm making every single other person that's wrong if they haven't. But in my mind, I now feel it is I'm sending you a message and I you will reply when you get the chance. And I you I hope you extend that respect to me and I extend that respect to you. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And so we don't need to apologize. Yeah, no apologies needed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we really like we have, especially as as women, we've gone way too far with the sorries and the apologies. We're apologizing for everything. I mean, my God, a woman bumped into me yesterday and I said I'm sorry. No, totally. That's and something I, I like grew up doing. Was like, kicking myself and you know like just in my brain but yeah I was like yeah why is that my instinct to first you know to do that 
Yeah. And I even a while back, I would notice I'm not somebody that would say like on Instagram, sorry, I'm sorry, I don't have makeup on or I'm sorry, I'm wearing the shame shirt. Like I wouldn't, sorry, but sometimes I would still feel like, let me bring attention to this. And yeah. I was like, who fucking cares? You know what? You're going to see me in the same sweatshirt probably every morning for the next six months. Cool. Most of the time I don't have makeup on and my hair is a mess. That's fine. Like I don't need to bring attention to that. By me bringing attention to it, even if I'm not saying sorry, I'm basically like, oh, I just want you to know that I know this. Yeah. And like, so it's a bit of an apology so that I've also been like, stop bringing attention to things. I love that. (laughs) That's another thing I've been practicing as well, because, yeah, I I would in the past be like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I don't have any makeup on. Or Same with me. I wouldn't say I'm sorry, but I would like call it out. Yeah. And now I just don't even address it. Because that's one thing that, again, allowed me to stop doing it so much was to realize by me doing this and it's somehow telling other people, well, something must be wrong about that. Yeah. Or like <laughs> Exactly. We internalize that as, oh, wait, so is that a problem? So then they're going to have to feel like they can't be on it or else they're going to have to like, you know, like. Yeah, because they're internalizing like, wait, so she's like addressing that she doesn't have makeup on. Is that like a thing that I should always Are there rules? Like, Am I supposed to? Yeah, exactly. Is this like an unspoken rule I'm unaware of? But I mean, that's unfortunately, that's a lot of what as it's women society, we are fighting just like, no, yeah, right now. Uh, so, yeah. All right. We're going to now get to the questions that I ask everybody, but I'm like, you kept saying good things. And I was like, oh, wait, I want to weave back to that. And then <laughs> lots of good stuff came out. I love All right. It. First thing is which keychain do you feel you most want as a reminder right now in your life? You know, uh, I was looking at these earlier being like, I don't know which one because I feel so I feel so drawn to a lot of them. I think I'm between so fucking grateful and I'm enough, but I think I'm going to go with I'm enough because that is just really. Yeah, it just seems to be kind of a theme in my life. Um, It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, like becoming aware of things in my life that I wasn't even like really aware was was there. And I think that I am enough is something that I need to remind myself of more constantly on a regular basis. Awesome. Okay. I constantly have to remind myself that what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. And it's like, duh. But so often it's like the easier route is easier. So like, let's just do that. And so I ask everybody to think of something in their life that they can think of and it could be like anything from their routine to like how they're approaching something that what is easiest for me is to do this what is best for me is to oh an example of that in my life um how you can apply that to your own life right now like seeing what's easiest for me is okay yeah I mean what would be easiest for me right now is just to continue down this path of just doing Instagram full-time not saying there's anything wrong with it but I for a long time have been feeling that I wanted to do so much more um, I feel like I can provide so much more value to the world than just through my Instagram. And I hadn't, I didn't have the time, like, for example, like, you know, I want to update my website and I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but yeah, it would be very easy for me to just like sit back and be like, okay, Instagram is now my full time, but you have that stream of income already. Exactly. That's easy. And I'm going to continue to do it. So don't worry, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm, I'm feeling very called to start up leveling and creating some stuff for myself that um, is more tangible in the world and not only dependent on Instagram. I mean, God forbid if Instagram went somewhere, I would be screwed. So it is also like a backup plan, but it is just that I've been feeling very like I I have so much more I want to contribute to the world. And again, like I said, it would be easier for me to just be like, okay, I'm good and like coast along. But 
now I want to throw myself into like really starting my own business, which is so scary and not easy and expensive and a possibility of lots of different failures. But yeah, I feel like I have to. Awesome. All right. The final question is the name of the podcast is Claim It, which means that I believe it's up to us to claim our worth, to claim our joy, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness, to claim our dreams, all of it, that it's not out there somewhere. And meaning like it's a day-to-day thing, that it's not like, oh, once I get this job, once I have this money, once I have this amazing relationship, everything will be amazing forever and always. That it's up to us to claim those things for ourselves every day. What are you claiming for yourself right now? Can you give me an example? Because I'm not sure how to. It usually ends up coming to a word for someone, but it could be like, I claim that like I'm going to start my own thing or I claim that I'm left. I claim that I'm at peace with where I am. Like it can be a word or just like, I claim that this is what I'm up to now. I'm content. I claim You know, the thing that came to my mind that really resonates, and I mean, this might like sound a little bit darker than I mean for it to, but I'm going to claim that I'm okay and that I am going to be okay because I really am in a space right now. And this is me like being vulnerable. And what I was talking about earlier that is very hard for me is that I am in a space right now where I don't feel necessarily okay. Like there's a lot of change and a lot of things shifting and it's really scary. Like, it's easy to come on here and be like, yeah, but everything's going to be fine and it's all going to work out. But like, there are times where I'm like, figure this out, you know, and and I do ultimately believe that I will. But yeah, just claiming that I am okay and I'm going to be okay. Yes, I love that. that. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, so honored that Courtney opened up so much. Love her. Love talking to her. To find more about her, you can go to realfoodology.com. She's at realfoodology on Instagram. I'm at yourjoyologist. For all the show notes and links and all that good stuff, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast. You'll find all the episodes there with all the information. I would love to hear what you loved most about this episode. Share it. Tag us. We love to hear from you. And make sure, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a review, be real. Let me know. Why do you listen? How did, why did you make it to this far in the podcast? (laughs) And if you do, I would love to send you a thank you in the package of some goodies from my shop. So screenshot your review and send it to podcast at yourdryologist.com. And I will send you a little thank you gift because I am grateful that you listen and I want to hear from you. So remember, it's up to you to claim your joy, your worth, your value, your enoughness. Think about right now, what are you claiming for yourself right now in this moment? Let me know, DM me, share the episode, tag me. I would love to hear from you and support you and cheer you on. All right, now go be awesome because who you are is awesome.